I join with Monty and the other brethren in welcoming you here this morning. Uh, if you can tell, my voice sounds a little different, unfortunately uh, for you. My allergies hit this week, uh, and so I may sound a little deeper. I brought my water with me. I hope that my voice is not too distracting this morning. Uh, and unfortunately for me, my ears got clogged up, so... This is a little awkward for me, but we're going to continue uh, a lesson that I began last month from the second chapter of Acts and talking about uh, getting back to the basics. If you're here visiting with us this morning, we're glad that you've chosen to come and be with us. We hope that you will join us at any time that you're able, and we hope that you know that you're honored guests here. I would encourage you to follow along in the Bible as we go through this, these verses, through this lesson. Uh, and if you weren't here, hopefully uh, the recap that I do shortly will catch you up. In talking about getting back to the basics, there are certain things we find in the Scriptures that the Scriptures tell us never change. That they were the same from the beginning. They were the same at the time that the Bible was recorded. They were the same years ago when our fathers and our grandfathers began studying these words. They are true today and they will be true forever. In James the first chapter and verse 17, we read the Bible says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. James recognized something about God the Father, God the Creator, and that is that He was the same in the beginning as He is today, and He forever will be. The God that those in the Scriptures followed is the same God that we are here this morning to praise and to worship, and long after we're gone, He'll be the same God. There is no changing. There's no variableness, and there's no shadow of turning. God will always be the same. The Bible also tells us in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, in verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Jesus who came to this earth and gave his life on the cross is the same Jesus who sits on the right hand of God today, is the same Jesus who gave his life for you. There is no changing with Jesus. The Son who was with the Father from the beginning. The Son who came and gave us the gift of His life, the sacrifice of His blood. That is the same Savior that we praise today. And finally, there in 1 Peter, the first chapter, beginning in verse 24, the Bible says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So we see in the scriptures that there are three things that will never change. They were the same for the, from the beginning as they were throughout the scriptures as they are today and they forever will be. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the word that he blessed us with that we might know his will. Those things never change. But then we ask the question, well, what about us? Do we change? Do our circumstances change? Do chi times change for us? Uh, certainly, 
as we look around in this room, we see that things certainly change. The beginning part of last year, we had wooden pews in here, wooden pews that we were all used to. Wooden pews similar to all of the churches that I have spoken in, that I grew up going to, there were wooden pews. And we were close together and we sat in a certain way. Now this year we have chairs. Chairs that were brought in so that uh, we could still have some semblance of the same being together, but having to socially distance from one another. Certainly, we would have to say that in everything we do over the last year, things have changed. Interactions have changed. The way that we conduct ourselves have changed. There's probably no one of any age in this room who could say that their life is exactly the same as it was two years ago. Why? Because there have been certain things, certain circumstances, Certain times that have occurred, we call it a pandemic. And I want you to know it's important that everyone in this room remember exactly what this change is like. Why? Because if we forget what this change is like, then the next time something like this happens, it's like we're starting over. But I want to learn from this time and look at the scriptures and say, what did the church do when they faced that first pandemic? Now, it wasn't a pandemic like ours. But certainly, as we talked about last time, their pandemic from a spiritual, from a church sense, was possibly much more greater than the pandemic we faced over the last year. In Acts the second chapter, we read through Acts the second chapter and we saw there in Acts the second chapter how their lives had changed based on the occurrence there on the day of Pentecost when Peter began speaking the words and he began telling them how they had crucified the Savior. And after telling them about them crucifying the Savior and the position that they were in in life, they asked the question, man and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said that they should be baptized. And they were. And they were brought into the church at that time. And we learn from the Scriptures that 3,000 souls at that time were saved. Acts the second chapter and verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. I want you to recall that continued steadfastly I have there in yellow, if you'd like to write it down, or you'd like to keep it in your notes, uh, that's the term that we translate, continue steadfastly, and it means to be earnest towards, to persevere, to be constantly diligent, to attend, to adhere closely to, that is a strong desire, that is something that was deep in their hearts, To continue steadfastly was something they were very serious about. It was something very, very dedicated to. It was something they woke up and they thought about. It was something they laid down and they thought about. The word that is translated there is something that meant something great to them. These weren't just ideas that they heard from Peter and then went on about their day. 
these weren't just some idea that they met there with the apostles at some point and said, you know, that sounds really good. But instead, I want you to understand that on this day of Pentecost in Acts the second chapter, when the church came to fruition, when it became manifest, when it became something real, these were things that these Christians of that day, although they were not yet called by that name, that these Christians put in their heart and they wanted, they desired to live. This is what they desired to be. And this morning, we're going to start with the first thing. And I, I say it's the first thing. If you read it, you could call it the first two things. But I want to tell you why I chose to combine them. Um, because I married an English teacher. And uh, as a lawyer, I'll tell you, uh, grammar is important and commas are real important. Okay? Because if you take out a comma, it can change the whole meaning of anything you say. And I want you to notice here that if we're talking about the basics, what did the church do at that time? That the Bible here in Acts, the second chapter, verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, comma, and in breaking bread, comma, and in prayers. Now, do I know if they got that right? No, I'm I wasn't there. I wasn't inspired to write it. But for some reason, when they put those things down, they didn't say the apostles' doctrine, comma, and fellowship, comma, and in breaking bread, comma, and in prayers. For some reason, when they were recording the scriptures that were inspired to be written down, they said the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking bread and prayers. So we're going to break those down in the same three that the recorders of the scripture did. So this morning, if we're talking about getting back to the basics, I want to talk about the Apostles' Doctrine and Fellowship. <clears throat> some of you may like word studies and some of you may not, but I think the words are important. The words are massively important, so I've translated here what Apostles' Doctrine means and what we translate it from. Apostolos, a delegate, a messenger, or he that is sent. These are from the Strong's. If you choose to go back and you want to look up what the, where these definitions come from, these are the Strong's definitions that I've used here. Apostles, the word apostolos is a delegate, a messenger, or he that is sent. And this word means instruction, taught, or a teaching. You notice I didn't even try that one because I don't remember how to pronounce that, so I don't want to pretend that I do. Those are the two terms that are translated for us, apostles' doctrine. Uh, so the apostles' doctrine is the teaching by one that is sent. It's the instruction that is by a delegate or a messenger. Why is that important? Why is it important to understand the significance of them saying the Apostles' Doctrine. I would imagine that if I asked anyone in this room separately, except for maybe those who are too young to understand the terms, I would say, is doctrine important? And certainly you would say yes. At least from a basic sense, we understand that term. 
doctrine. That there are certain doctrines that we hold true. That the Bible contains for us, that God's Word contains for us certain doctrines that we need to follow. But why in this instance did Luke, as he's writing down, say that if this church was beginning the basics, why did he call it the Apostles' Doctrine? I mean, isn't it important that we follow God's doctrine and not the doctrine of some men? Because certainly we recognize that the apostles were just that. They were men who were given certain special powers at a time to show who the Christ was. But we know that they were the messenger. And for some reason, Luke, as he's recording there, the early church, he calls it the apostles' doctrine when he talks about that in fellowship. So I want to understand why he's calling it the apostles' doctrine. If you go back to Romans, the 10th chapter, as Paul's recording, Paul tells us something important about the children of Israel, God's people. You know, sometimes when you look at scriptures, it's a little strange to see that as you read the Old Testament, God had a chosen people. God's people were the children of Israel. The Jews were, in fact, God's people. There is a very specific reason that when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, she said, he said, salvation is of the Jews. And for us to understand what Paul is talking about, we have to understand that point. That the children of Israel, from the time of old, were the chosen people of God. But here's what Paul said about them. Paul said in Romans the 10th chapter and verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You know what Paul said about the children of Israel? When Paul, talking about himself and looking at the things that he could glory in about himself, he said, I am a Jew of the Jews. He had taught and understood who God was. The children of Israel knew who God was. They knew of the great Jehovah God. They knew about the Almighty. You know what Paul recognized in them? Paul said they have a zeal for God. They claim God as their own. They claim a belief in God. And he said, here's the problem. I bear them record, I'll tell you, that they have a zeal for God. But here's the unfortunate thing about the children of Israel. The unfortunate thing about the children of Israel, according to Paul, is that zeal for God that they had wasn't according to knowledge. It wasn't according to truth. What was it according to? Paul said there's something you have to recognize about God, and that is God is true righteousness. 
But to understand righteousness, you have to recognize the righteousness of God. But the children of Israel did what? The children of Israel over time went somewhere for looking at the righteousness of God and decided that they were going to create their own righteousness. We have a term for that today. It's called self-righteousness, right? We get used to that term, and that's what happened to Israel. Well, if we put this in plain terms, what happened to Israel according to Paul? According to Paul, the children of Israel continued to claim God as their own. But the things that they followed were based on their own glory, their own will, their own righteousness. You know, as Jesus interacted with the Pharisees, he made it clear to the Pharisees that the Pharisees were following their own doctrines. Some of those doctrines were the doctrines of their fathers, but somehow they had left the original righteousness. And that's the righteousness of God. Now, I want you to notice that in saying that they had a zeal for God, there was a lot of understanding in the law. They taught the law and they proclaimed the law. But what was that law about? That law was a set of rules that they had to follow to a T. But over time, the Pharisees and the Jews began to follow it in their own way, in their own teachings, in their own doctrine. But even having that law that could not be made perfect by a man until the Christ came, I want you to notice what Jesus tells these messengers, what he tells these apostles, what he tells his disciples. In Matthew, the 22nd chapter, beginning in verse 37, Matthew 22, beginning in verse 37, Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus, who came to fulfill the law, who came to make the law finished, done, complete, because he was perfect. When asked, what is the great command? Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said the first and the greatest command is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy mind and with all thy soul. That's the first and great command. The second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And I want you to notice what Jesus says about these two commands. He says, on these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. You know, oftentimes when we think about the law, the easiest thing that we think about is the Ten Commandments. Even from the time that, that a child begins to understand the things that are said to them, they begin to learn Scripture, they hear about the Ten Commandments. And here's what Jesus said. If you really want to understand those two commandments, the thing that it hangs on is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And there's a second one, and you better understand that one too, to love thy neighbor as thyself. 
And on these two commands hang all the laws you know. Every one of the prophets that came, that had an ear for God and a voice to the people, they all hung on these two commandments. Look at John, the 13th chapter. In John, the 13th chapter, in verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. The children of Israel, according to Paul, had a zeal for God, but that zeal for God was not according to knowledge. I wonder if Paul meant that the most important thing they needed was knowledge. Because here's what Jesus said. When Jesus came to this earth, living his life as a Jew to fulfill the law, when Jesus came to this earth, Jesus said there were two commands on which hang all the law and the prophets. To love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now I want you to notice when he gathered the children of Israel in the upper, uh, not the children of Israel, that would be way too many people for that upper room. When he gathered the apostles together in the upper room. In John the 13th chapter, we see that after he's taught them about serving and love, he says, I give a new commandment to you. Love one another as I have loved you. Now I want you to think real quick about why Luke in writing Acts the second chapter verse 42 would call it the Apostles' Doctrine. There were 3,000 Jews there evidently who believed when Peter said that they had crucified the Savior. There are 3,000 Jews who had been taught there were only certain foods that they could eat, that there were, only, uh, there were certain festivals they had to participate in every year, that there were certain things that they could wear, that there were only certain kinds of people they could talk to, and there were certain kinds of people they could not talk to. These 3,000 Jews who believed on the day of Pentecost had been brought up under a teaching system that was very strict, it was very clear. There were certain Samaritans, for example, you didn't have any contact with. There were certain people, even among the Jews, who at specific times during a month or during a year, you had no contact with. There were certain things you had to do, like wash your hands, that were more important than other things. You remember Jesus said, you know you tithe your mint and your cumin, but you avoid the weightier matters of the law. You see, these Jews had been taught a certain standard, not only in their spiritual lives, but their spiritual lives were their lives. And yet, now these apostles have been told there's something new that I'm commanding you. Love one another as I have loved you. 
If you don't understand how dramatic or how drastic that change was, let's think about something over the last year. Over the last year, we've had a pandemic that said, uh, in order to be safe, it would be best if you wear a mask in front of one another, that you stay six feet away from one another uh, while you converse or you talk. Uh, it said that in doing so, if we bring people into this room or into a barn or anywhere else, that there needs to be some spacing and we need to be careful about the number of people. That was a drastic change from what we were used to. Coming in and sitting close and hugging and talking and getting close to someone as we communicate with them, that was a dramatic change. But let's say that instead of that, when you walked in here this morning, I said, hey, the scriptures say that none of the men and women can sit next to each other. Here's the doctrine we're going to follow. In fact, the women have to go outside. They're not allowed to listen. Only the men are going to be in here. And in fact, women from now on are not allowed to travel out away from the home. They have to stay at the home. That's what the Bible says. You know, there's certain things that could be a whole lot more drastic than what we've been through over the last year. And I'll tell you what, on the day of Pentecost, that's how it was. On the day of Pentecost, we went from a rule of you can't eat catfish, you can't eat pork, you can't work, you worship on Saturday, to a whole new rule, and it's called love. That's dramatic. You see, that wasn't just everyday life. That was business life. That was social life. That was personal life. That was spiritual life. It all changed for those Jews. Matthew, the 29th chapter. Matthew, the 29th chapter, and verse 19, the Bible says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You know why I was called the Apostles' Doctrine? Because they had an uphill battle. Jesus, in his approximately three years of ministry, took these 12 men around. Judas gave up his spot. His spot was then filled with Matthias there in Acts, the first chapter. And those 12 men had an uphill battle because now they've been told, go and teach them everything that I've taught you. Teach him to observe all things that I've taught you. You know, they weren't teaching a new subject. They had to reverse lifelong teachings. They had to reverse lifelong beliefs about what God's will was. They had to reverse life long choices that have been made by these people and bring them now to a recognition of a Savior who had sacrificed his life.
But the Bible talks about not only the apostles' doctrine, it combines that there with fellowship. And this is a term that we've used uh, quite frequently. Uh, The term fellowship is one that we talk about often, and there's lots of scriptures to go with fellowship. And certainly this morning, I'm not going to give you an exhaustive uh, study on fellowship. The word there is koinonia. Koinonia means partnership or a sharer. And if you look it up in Strong's, just in case you're on your smartphone and you're looking up at Strong's, you'll see that this is not actually under the definition of koinonia because if you're looking at Strong, it says partnership and then it says see also and it gives you the root word of koinonia. When you click on the root word, the root word of koinonia is sharer. But koinonia also means to communicate or communion. Why is that important? First John, and I didn't put the chapter up there, which means I want you to go read First John in its entirety. It's only three chapters long anyway. So, First John, the sixth verse there of whichever chapter I chose says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Verse 7 says, but if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, John, in writing this epistle, he pointed something out that's very important about our spiritual lives. He pointed out that there is truth and there is other things. And he pointed out that truth is not determined by Franklin. Truth is not determined by an elder. Truth is not determined by a man or a woman or a child. Truth is determined by God. And we can say that we walk in truth, that we believe in God and His truth. But if we walk in darkness, then we're just lying to ourselves. But if we walk in light, if we walk in those things that never change, if we walk in God, if we walk in Christ, if we walk in His Word, if we walk in truth, then what happens? For one, the greatest thing of all happens, and that is that we have communion with the blood of Jesus Christ. That His truth covers us excuses us, justifies us, makes us whole, makes us clean. But John said if we walk in the truth, if we walk in His Word, if we walk in His doctrine, if we walk in His teachings, then we have a partnership one with another then we have a relationship one with another. Then we share one with another. Why is that important? 
In Romans the 8th chapter and verse 16, Paul writes, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified. You know, sometimes I think we use the term children of God, sons of God, daughters of God, children of God, as if it's just a neat saying to get you to feel good. You know, it's kind of like saying I'm American. And as an American, I'm a child of God. If that's how you feel about being a child of God, then you've missed the point completely. You know, one of the things about being from the South, I'm from Texas. I'm Texan by birth. I'm Texan by choice. I'm a child of God. I just want you to know those aren't the same. You see, being from Texas ain't going to get me to heaven. Being from Texas won't get a single child of mine from heaven, and there's not a child in this room that God's going to care what part of the land you were from. He just won't. Scary to think about, right? But I'm proud to be an American. Just so you know. Let's see how good that does you on the day of judgment. See, because Paul said this. Paul said, let me tell you what's great about being a child of God. If I'm a child of God, then I'm an heir. An heir of what? You know, he clarifies there and he says, I'm a joint heir with Christ. Is that significant to you? It better be. Jesus Christ ascended into heaven to sit on the right hand of God. The Savior of your soul. Continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship comes down to this one statement. Peter wrote, among other things, in 1 Peter, the second chapter, verse 17, love the brotherhood. If you want to test me on this, go back and look at the strongest definition of the term love there. See, there's, there's certain brotherly love that we like to talk about. That's phileo. The word that's translated there is agapeo. Surely you recognize the root of that, agape, love, the brotherhood. I want you to imagine what it was like for 12 apostles. See, Paul hadn't come around yet. Paul hadn't been down the road of Damascus yet. In fact, Paul hadn't stood consenting, holding the coats of the men who stoned Stephen yet. That was all later to come. You have 12 disciples who a number of people think they're intoxicated. They think they're drunk. They're standing up there shouting out these things. 
to a crowd that's enormous. And thousands of souls believed the words that they heard. The words of the gospel. And 12 men knew that they had been sent by Christ to share this doctrine of love. And they took this doctrine, and with this doctrine, they began a relationship with those who had a long-standing belief in the law. And they were there to make new creatures. I wonder when the last time we were to look at somebody else outside of this room and think, I want to make sure your soul goes to heaven. You see, this all came from a Savior who said, love your enemies. What good are you if you love the ones you're supposed to love? Love your enemies. You see, that's the doctrine that these apostles had to teach. They had to teach to a point that these apostles would look at everybody and that they would get to a point where those Samaritans who they were raised were dogs and dirty, had souls that were children of God, and that we were joint heirs with. You see, fellowship we like to talk about as a use of time. That fellowship or koinonia is a way we use our time in which we have some togetherness. And certainly it is that. But if that's all you see, it's not fellowship. You see, fellowship is a heart thing. Fellowship is a soul thing. Fellowship is a thing in which your mind and your heart recognize that everyone you're around has a soul. And that that soul has an end. Either with the Father or without the Father. You see, one of the basics that the church began in Acts the second chapter verse 42 was to love the brotherhood and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You know what happens when we get back to the basics of loving the brotherhood and breaking bread together and praying together? God adds to the church daily such as should be saved. Lord willing, next month in my opportunity to preach, we will uh, go beyond the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and we will talk about the breaking of bread. If you are not a child of God this morning, the gospel that was shared that pricked their hearts is the same gospel that we offer today. The gospel from the Word of God, the gospel that remains true to this day and forevermore. 
that Jesus Christ came and gave his life for you, that he shed his blood for you, that you might be whole and you might be cleansed of your sins. If you're prepared to make that confession this morning, to be obedient to his will, having your sins washed away in baptism, we're prepared to assist you in that. If you are a child of God and there's something we can pray with you or for you, we'd ask you to please come have a seat here on the front row as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.